0: At the s and the other stops. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, like retail sales, has something for everybody. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, the good doctor, Dr. Anirban Mahati. G'day, mate. How are you? I am very good. Are you? I'm excellent. Why are you saying what? Excellent? Yeah. Is that, I think it's a step up from normal. What makes you excellent this morning? Oh, I feel like
1: uh, I'm $1.4 billion richer, but that's different.
0: Put, you're buying lunch then? Yeah, Maybe. I know the answer to this, but for our listeners, why are you $1.4 billion richer?
1: Oh, this can be a secret. They don't need to know. (laughs) You
0: have to share it now. Come on. on. You can't drop it out there. Suspense. There you go. All right, we'll keep it in suspense. Uh That is the most random tangent in the world. We've actually gone with something we're not going to explain. There you go. Welcome, fools. Thank you to, for joining us for our weekly podcast. Mate, um, we've got a lot to talk about this week. We've got retail sales. We've got the RBA. We've got Westpac in two separate stories. Google, of course, hits the news. And dear old Crown Casino, mate, it is what, it was already being investigated, already questions being asked in an inquiry, and then Oztrack, Mate, <laughs> I don't want to be a Crown Director right now. That is a, that is a tough one 2 punch the company's having to go through. All right, mate, let's... Without further ado, get straight into it. Let's do
2: it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, buddy. Retail sales out this
0: week. Um, let's start with the macro as we always do. It's it, it was one of those something for everyone kind of numbers. So for the month of September, sales were down 1.5% on the preceding month, i.e. August. So that's one in the, in the bear box. In the bull box, it was still up on last September. In other words, retail sales are growing year on year and the annual sales, sorry again, the annual rate of retail sales growth Try saying that three times quickly. Is still five point two percent. So kind of one of those stories where, depending on where you look, things are okay. And of course, Victoria, still the poor man of Australia, the the sick man of Australia, if I put it that way. Um, obviously, they're still struggling down there. We desperately hope you guys are out of lockdown as quickly as possible. But that did drag the national numbers down meaningfully. And again, we you know you can't exclude that because that's real and it's part of the economy. And frankly, it has none of the issues for Victoria, but it also has flow-on impacts for the rest of the country. Less demand in Victoria means that. You know, manufacturers and wholesalers and retailers outside Victoria aren't necessarily getting the same business they otherwise would have. What do you make of the retail sales numbers?
1: Um, So, um, yeah, I don't pay too much attention to those numbers. Um, I have a high-level take, right? my high-level take is um, whether or not the numbers look good or not is almost immaterial. Okay. Right. And my high-level take is we're all in deep trouble, anyways. <laughs> so, so it doesn't matter. Uh, the, the numbers can look whatever they want to look like. Um, you know, uh, bottom line is all the numbers right now are whatever numbers we see are juiced mm. up, mm. Um, and they're in many ways fake. Yep. Right? So they're fake because we don't know what the real unemployment is. We don't know what the real state of the economy is. We. Um, what we basically know is oh there's a lot of stimulus and there's this mm-hmm. stimulus is doing different things people are not doing their normal activities they're doing um, you know different activities right so we're in sort of in a new environment which is hard to tell what these numbers actually mean like right, in, right, in right. my in my view numbers right now tell us nothing um, overall, right? I mean, it just, it just talks about low, it, it, I think it talks about short-term sentiment, mm. um, which is more or less, I think, over mm. the long-term mm. meaningless. So that that's my high-level take on it. That's why I actually pay very little attention to those um, numbers, plus I don't invest in retail anyway. So right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, so that's my very high-level take on that.
0: Nice, I, I, I'm gonna take a slightly different perspective, maybe, maybe the more optimistic perspective. I think you're right about the numbers being fake, absolutely. I also think, though, that it is evidence that the stimulus is working. And as much as the stimulus is fake stimulus by definition, the alternative would have been without stimulus, things are much worse. And so to some degree, the money goes into the economy, it gets spent, it, it provides demand for jobs, all the, all the stuff that stimulus is supposed to do. This is absolutely fake in the sense that it's all it's all stimulus-based spending, but it, it is by definition working. And I think you know, if, if you believe in the stimulus approach, you do it because you want it, to do exactly what it's doing and to hopefully give the economy enough of its own momentum. It's like, you know, you kind of, uh, the, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking back in my head of my dad pushing me along on my bike, no no training wheels, but holding the back and kind of running along with me just until I've got enough momentum and, and skill and confidence to kind of keep going on my own. Um, that's, my, that's my take on it. So I think to, to some degree, I actually agree with you in terms of it's exactly completely fake, but that's entirely what stimulus is supposed to do and, and where it's supposed to be taking us.
1: No, I don't disagree with that. I, I think the I think the my issue right now is that I think there are fundamental, really big fundamental issues with the economy, mm. um, which I think, in my view, the stimulus is actually making it worse. Okay. Like, yeah, so the stimulus is basically, uh, in many ways, right? It's like you can put a patient mm. on a you know on a heart lung machine mm-hmm. and keep them alive, right? Right, and you can keep them alive for a long time, and you get the sense of oh, they're alive. Maybe they're going to get out, mm-hmm. but actually, they're not going to get out, right? And. So it's basically pushing the can. In many ways, I think right now what's happening is there's a bit of pushing the can down the road. Right. That's happening. Everyone is trying to. Uh, it's, this is not a specific. You know, everyone is trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Whether it is um, the government or the bank and or you know, and that's that's happening globally. I think that mm-hmm. that is the bigger problem. Okay. I don't know how this is going to manifest itself in um, e- over the course of time. Nothing manifests itself immediately, right? Mm-hmm. But how it's going to manifest itself. What is going to be the um, the downside of this? That's not actually clear to me. Mm. Yeah. So if, if that's that's something that I've been thinking about is that you know there has to be some cost, um, and there has to be some repercussions, right, of kicking the can down the road in many mm. ways, right. Mm. So I, I, I think what I see right now is a disconnect in terms of yes, you are pushing, um, you're creating. So I think. Stopgap arrangements work well
2: mm. for mm.
1: things that are going to come back. Stopgap arrangements don't work well for things that are not going to come back. Right, right? Right, right. So it's not really clear to me right now what's coming back, what's not coming back, what's mm. going to recover. Is mm. it just you know? Um, in, in many ways, what we know is that if we give people cash, mm. they'll spend it. Right. At, because their economy works that way. Mm. But what's not clear to me is that whether or not uh, there's gonna be job creation um, for the long term. So mm. that's, that's what I think, but you know, happy to be proven wrong.
0: <laughs> I think well, I think that's the thing, right? I think that's, we are we all trying to understand, you know, discern what's going on and where we're going, uh, but we're all at least on the same page of hoping that the future is at least brighter than maybe the present and certainly than, than it has been in the past. Um, Speaking of that, mate, and speaking of what, you know, maybe maybe you might say, I think, this will be making problems worse in, in that category, or maybe not. The RBA, um, this is a – so so. the headline is, and, and I think it's probably right, uh, the RBA has given its clearest sign yet that it will cut rates. The commentary was really, really, really clear based on, look, we will do whatever it takes. We will cut rates. We will put more QE. We will buy more bonds. Um you know, we want to keep the, the interest rates down now, the official cash rate and the three-year yield, bond yield. And that's um, for those who don't want to get into the nuance of it, I don't blame you. But effectively, you want to keep the longer-term lending cost down. So if you're taking a three-year fixed deal, you want that to be as low as possible if you want to try and, particularly for businesses, but also for consumers, if you want to try and you know, maximise the, the chance that people will borrow some money if they know they can borrow it for three or four or five years rather than one and, and the rate's not variable. In theory, it's supposed to aid economic activity. Now, the RBA, now, I say they they're given the clearest signal yet, except two three weeks ago, I think it was, I think we even talked about it on the podcast, the RBA kind of did the same thing and the markets assumed they built in a rate cut. And then over the kind of proceeding or the following two weeks, they kind of wound that backslay, so like, oh no, no, maybe it, won't ha- maybe it won't happen. This time the ABA has gone again with the same kind of language. I think it's clearer this time. I think it's more obvious this time the way they're talking about it. They were very clear about what they might do and what they might have to do. The fact they would do whatever it takes, the fact that rates are staying low for three years, if this is not if this is not a sign they're going to, I think we can probably give up on on trying to read anything into the RBA commentary. Do you have a Do you have a thought about that?
1: Yeah. Again, in a in a in a similar vein, my thought is well, <laughs> I've said this before. I think you know, um, the Reserve Bank Governor, I would have fired him a long time back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I think he has done a poor job. Right. Um, you know, so at this point, I think here's the deal. Mm. Okay. My deal is very simple. Um, cutting the rates help Mm. except the question is what does it help right now if you cut the rates and you enable borrowing by businesses innovative businesses creating the 21st century jobs Mm. yes it helps Mm. right um it's not immediately obvious but it does help Mm. so but if the rate cutting only fuels the property pyramid or fuels more borrowing that is actually going to be spent unwisely, it actually does not help. Yeah. So I think long-term competitiveness is what is going to be compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I think about it. I, th- I think if you're going to cr- create um, asset price inflation, mm-hmm. then actually you're just break it, basically b- digging a hole, and then b- digging a bigger hole, and mm-hmm. then digging mm-hmm. an even bigger hole, and then eventually you're just going to be buried in the hole. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. Um, so I think that's my... My issue right now is that I think all of these strategies are just basically causing mm. asset price inflation. And it's good, you know, you, hey, <laughs> share prices are going up, that's that's fantastic. And, um, but I, I think I'm not a huge fan of, let uh, I me mean, put it this way. I think RBA has very little choice of what it can do. So it clearly is not gonna make decisions about, um,
0: about fiscal oh, policy, industry oh, yeah. support, welfare yeah. payments, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, it's not making those decisions, so it, yeah. it's handicapped. So I understand that, but I think my issue right now is that it is handicapped, but it's only going to make mm. it's. Mm. This is an example would be that if you cut, um, so t- take take uh, Australian property, right? It's mm. very expensive. It's one of the most expensive in the world, right? Um, it's basically unaffordable. Now, if it's not, if you only increase the affo- the unaffordability further mm. who does it help yeah, yeah. it 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 only it, it only prices out a bunch of other people who would otherwise get priced you know who could afford to buy things but you're know, basically pricing them out mm-hmm. um, so and you're not creating any other um, you know, new types of jobs right so you're basically creating the same types of jobs i try to hope that you know the same engine basically keeps spinning right right? right. so i i again i don't know how where this is headed um i don't have answers but you know those are sort of the questions that i would think Mm, about mm, is mm. um what's happening
0: yeah i think that's right i think that's i i I actually agree with you I, i i'm really torn on the rba stuff because i think independent central banks are important i think they are Arguably necessary um, Arguably I wouldn't, I wouldn't be Absolutely You know Declare that Unquestionably But When you've got a situation Where the RBA And the government Seem to still Not be pulling In the same direction In the same way Or at least With some sort of Coordinated action It makes it really hard Right Like I can see I can absolutely see The case for If you trusted And this is probably The problem If you trusted Politicians enough and you believe that monetary policy, i.e. interest rates, was a core and should be a coordinated part of the overall policy setting, i.e. fiscal policy, that is tax and spend, and monetary policy, which interest rates are effectively two sides of the same coin, or at least should be pushing in the same strategic direction, it makes sense for those to be controlled by one group of people, or at least in some sort of coordinated fashion. And it really does seem, I mean, I can't complain about the stimulus, so the, the government's around the kitchen sink at this one, but it's clearly not enough. I mean, the central banks here and around the world are saying, thanks, guys, but that's not enough. I've got to do more. I uh, So I've got a couple of thoughts. The first is, I'll just read a bit from Matthew Cranston in the AFR because this is this is kind of the, the summary, right? Um, economists believe that the RBA will take the form, sorry, the rate cut, will take the form of a multifaceted rate cut, including the official cash rate to 0.1% and a declaration of intent about outright quantitative easing via large-scale bond purchases. I mean, you can't be clear on that. Now, it may not happen, of course, as I said. There's still a chance that despite the RBA's very, very clear you know, messaging here, they won't go. And to some degree, they didn't go last month. So you kind of wonder what's changed. I don't know that much has changed. They worry about the official cash, sorry, worry about the exchange rate, apparently. Um, they worry about inflation. They worry about full employment. So it, it feels to me like, again, I know I've probably said this before. I'm sure I've said this before, but the RBA with their one lever, maybe two if you include, qe in other words buying bonds but they've got one or two levers you know they're, they're flying the the biplane that the wright brothers biplane in 1915 or something um the, the federal government flying either a jumbo or a, or a fighter jet whichever whichever kind of analogy you prefer with all the buttons, dials you know switches um options available to them and and the rba it's kind of like you know I, I agree with you i i absolutely worry about i'm not super worried about the level of house prices well, I'd rather them be lower, but I'm not, I'm not as worried as you are. But I think the future question you, you rightly pose is I completely agree with you that without additional restrictions on irresponsible borrowing, you do wonder what this actually helps or at least we know what it helps, but we won't worry about the, the implications, right? The, the the multi potentially multi-decade implications of how much you're borrowing now to buy a, a house if house prices go up. You've got to try and make that work. And I think if you're going to cut rates like this for, to stimulate business activity in particular, which this seems to be about, fair enough. But you've got to find a way to do it in concert with other regulatory bodies, other, other, other policies to make sure you don't absolutely, as you say, create those perverse outcomes.
1: Yeah, like, you know, so house price, okay, so house price actually by itself does not matter. Uh, by itself, the housing price could be whatever. I, I think it's just an example of bankruptcy of thought process, right? So I think um, the bankruptcy of thought process is very simple in my mind what is it that you a you know an industry somebody who wants to borrow somebody who wants to start a mm-hmm. business somebody who wants to build a factory that they can't build today that they're going to build that's when the rate is point zero one so yeah. so the so the answer to that is it's bankruptcy of ideas right, right there is a total bankruptcy of ideas because everybody thinks they can make money of these other things mm-hmm. right um and i think that's where the problem is there is basically zero innovation happening because well you make money this other way, yep. right? And I think this is where the problem is. The problem is that you know mm. we've become a society of the pyramid builders, or the house builders, and mm-hmm. this and that, mm. instead of being innovative, mm. because that's just too hard, Yeah. right? And and I think that so, so systematically, what we are doing is we are enabling. Um, it, it's it, it's basically like you know if you're in a sugar high. The solution to that yeah. is to not have more sugar, right? So basically, right. Australia that's overall right. is yep. on yep. a yep. on a sugar high, <laughs> and we're just giving it more sugar. This is just going to add badly, yeah, right? right? So uh, you know, that that that's just you might take. I, I think you know that mm. it's mm. again like I don't know what problem R- RBA is solving. As I said, like you yeah. know I don't know which business. So it could. So here's the thing, right? It could be mm. that the RBA thinks that well the banks are not lending or lenders are not lending yeah, to people who right. want to start a business. That's right. But that's that's a policy problem
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: because today's rates are so low. If you wanted to start a business, you can't start it. Then there's a problem in the way the laws are structured. Yeah. Maybe the the bankruptcy laws. Maybe the um, the way the approvals are made. Maybe the way people evaluate businesses. Right. Mm. That's where the problem is. Yep. It's not the rate.
0: Yeah. The difference between borrowing at four percent and one percent is massive. Yes. The difference between borrowing at zero point two five and zero point one is I'll be a little bit flippant, but it's not miles away from just simply a rounding error. If you can't yeah. if you can't find a project that you can afford to borrow, let's call it a million dollars make my life easy. If you can't borrow a million dollars at 0.25, but you will borrow it at 0.1, or that somehow it changes your spending or investment behavior, um, I, I don't know. Like I don't, I, you and I have different views. I don't blame the RBA because they're in the biplane and they've got to do something. So they're trying to do something because they see that if they don't do something, even, even marginal, it, it'll have implications down the road, right? What? So I'm less critical than you. But I think the broad idea that that it's it's gonna have even more than a, a tiny, tiny marginal impact at that point. At least at least with otherwise. If, okay, if you've got to buy bonds and buy bonds. If you've got to make borrowing easier, make borrowing easier, but changing just the rate Without governments and, and regulators working together to fix the underlying problems that you've identified, is exactly the problem.
1: Well, if I'm if I'm the RBA governor and I take a mm. million dollars of salary, I would absolutely play poker with the government and say
0: <laughs> I'm not moving.
1: You know what? I'm going to move the rates up. <laughs> I want to see what you're going to do. Fire me. Like I mean, come on. I think they uh, would. I think they would. And that would be fine. That would be a statement, and then I can go and give a statement on the in the newspaper saying, "Well, you know, hey, <laughs> it does not make sense to cut rates." So I'll you know I'll give an example. Um, so um, you know, I made an investment to a project where um, something is being built, yep, right? Yep. And the bank, because of COVID, yeah, decided that they can't loan, right? You know. So this is an example of where um, it's not a, it's not an issue. About rates anymore, right? It's yep. an issue about yeah, yeah, the culture yeah. of lending and the, you know, the how you evaluate businesses. And you know, again, the bank might yeah. have, you know, yeah. made the right decision. But I think uh, this this is an example. This is illustrative of what the bank thinks is okay. The yeah. bank would lend. Yeah. $2 dollars for a, a, a property mortgage yeah. because that is deemed to be okay, right? Right. right? That doesn't create jobs, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that, that's that's the issue. I think my yeah. fundamental issue is um, we are we are addressing uh, problems. We are addressing the sugar addiction with sugar with more <laughs> yeah, sugar. Right. Um, How do you stop a
0: hangover? You just keep drinking. Yeah. Right? Well, just you know, if you're drunk, just
1: just keep drinking. Just keep drinking until well, until you pass out. <laughs> so that's what's happening uh, right now. So um, I'm I'm a bit saddened. By you know, I don't uh, yeah, by, mm. by the approach and mm. the style and the um, yeah. the lack of awareness. I think that yeah. um, you know you really need to pick up and do other things. Otherwise, like there's going to be a time when nobody's going to be interested in uh, mining. What do yeah. we do then? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think it's a, it's a it's a big problem. I think we you know again I said you have slightly different perspectives, but the the problems and the potential solution that we're reasonably clear on that and, and rates lower rates. If, if low rates are the answer because the rest of policy is so ineffective, then that's the problem. If low rates aren't the answer, then, again, we've got the same problem. It, it seems like, you know, I've got to say, it frustrates the hell out of me. I mean, you, you and I do it, right? We talk about the RBA all the time. The the, the financial media, and I'll, it's a grab bag term, and it's not everybody, but when we we write columns and columns and columns and inches and inches and inches on the RBA, and no one's actually, you know, as if, as if the RBA is the only thing that matters to economic Policy and recovery, and we give a relative, you know, carte blanche to the rest of policy. You know, it's, it's, we're looking at the one percent here and ignoring the ninety-nine percent of stuff that happens elsewhere, and saying let's talk about the RBA and what they should do on rates again. It's it happens on Twitter. It's and again from really smart, simple people. I actually quite like this this slavish kind of it's almost Pavlovian response to to hey, what are the RBA doing? What are they doing? What's this going to matter? And it's like yeah, okay, that's the right question, I suppose, but only in context. One percent of the question should be what's the RBA doing. The other 99% has got to be, hey, have we got a bigger problem here? I got, I mean, my my think about down the track. Let's say this works, but in three years' time rates are still zero, and we have another economic impact. You, you can't keep cutting rates, and then you, I mean, you can make them negative, and then further negative, and more negative, and more negative, and you buy more bonds and more bonds and more bonds, and effectively, this has to lead if we don't get it back on track to de facto nationalisation of, of the economy. Like there is no other alternative if this is if this is the only path we can go on and can't get back to some sort of normalcy. Uh, you know it goes in one direction there's no firepower left already what happens next time we asked that after the GFC and the answer was let's go to zero and let's do QE fine next time in 2025 or 7 or 34 or whatever it is unless we get back to some sort of normalcy I don't know what tools are left for policy makers certainly monetary policy to actually respond to it
1: yeah I don't have any, I mean I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a relative game right I mean depending um, yeah. uh, I mean, the one effect that can happen is debasement of the currency, right? So yeah. the currency could be
0: cr- completely debased, which is you know, um, what they're trying to do, ironically. With and that's part of the IBA saying was, "Look, other countries have done this so much, we have to keep up to keep our currency from being too high." I mean, it's it's crazy, it's self yeah. self mutually assured destruction financially.
1: Yeah. So it's it's debasement of the currency is, mm. uh, I think, part of the game. Well, although, again, I think it it's 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 a trade off between you know you want to be competitive with your exports, mm. right? but I want to be careful if your exports are raw material, yeah. you don't really have a competitive advantage yeah. over the long term. Right, right, right. You actually have a deteriorating competitive advantage yes. over the long term.
0: The, the best you've got is <laughs> you can get it out cheaper than somebody else, yeah. but the deeper the hole gets, the worse that problem is. Yeah, becomes. worse
1: So I think, I, I it, to me, it seems like there are some long-term issues here that are just building that are not being addressed, mm-hmm. but uh, it's not really the RBS fault. You, you know, pa- part of this is, I think, yeah. Um, these are policy questions mm-hmm. that require mm-hmm. um you know uh, like de- decade-long leadership yeah. thinking yeah. right and if we elect people for three years where they're just going to do policy for one year and then two years planning <laughs> yeah. to get reelected, exactly. well, yeah. Yeah. it's really hard to <laughs> so we <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, we're we we are kind of out of luck there so yeah
0: I know what you do. I'm. Um, I got. Last comment quickly. I think the problem is to some degree too. This is an international issue that we're not even close to resolving economically. That, you know, yes, we can be slightly better or slightly worse than our competitors. And, and frankly, at a policy level, at a national level, it's the government's job to kind of make us slightly better than everybody else, so we can get can be slightly better off. That's what national governments do, and have always done. That's what's behind the the, the U.S. China trade wars. Is both countries trying to make themselves a little bit better at the expense of the other one. That's how these things happen. The broad question of... It's not If it's just the RBA with this policy problem or, or the Chinese government with this policy problem, there might be some better options. But man, like around the world, interest rates are zero. Around the world, GDP growth is hard to come by. Around the world, QE is out of control. Uh, it, you know, the RBA can't... Or, and the government can't resolve it for and, off, for and by themselves... Because the you know getting us out of this hole and back to some sort of normalcy is an international issue. Even if we were the best in the world, that would be slightly better than the rest. But if if the world doesn't sort this out, whatever we know full well, we're, we're globally exposed. Whatever implications are going to hit us at the same time.
1: Yeah, like my my last comment about that one is, mm. I, I think there are two different issues here. So one is. Um, one is sort of, you know, uh, more even distribution of wealth, right? That is a different Mm -hmm. problem. I think that this does not address. Mm. However, I do think um, that what's happening right now is low rates are actually making competitive... Innovative and competitive countries, further more innovative and competitive because Radical. there are these companies that can do things that they would otherwise find it harder to do. Right. So, so the gap is widening, and they, entirely the the U.S.-China trade war is is not about trade, but it's all about basically competitive edge. Okay. Who who's going to edge out whom in terms <laughs> of you know? It's really all about competitive edge. You know, it's having edge on silicon, having edge on you know AI, having edge on other things, right? Yeah. So I think. In many ways, actually, actually, the lower the rate, mm. it is actually helping uh, certain countries, certain economies over uh, over others, and it's just right. making the the gap wider. And that's different, um, you know, from economic distribution of wealth. Yeah, agreed. In your mind.
0: Agreed.
2: Let's I was gonna say let's move on to better things. I'm not sure we can. Let's see how we go. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M
0: Let's go to Westpac. <laughs> <laughs> for our Westpac. Speaking of speaking of um well, reactions, changes, uh, new worlds, trying to deal with, with what's going on. Um, Westpac is probably doing what we all assume might happen, but yet it's something of a notable and and probably I don't want to overplay this, but but it may well be the first domino. And and not it's not this is not about lending, this is not about banks, it's not even about branches. This is about the corporate responses effectively to COVID and what the future might look like, both for the companies themselves, for us as employees, and for the broader economy. Westpac is actually choosing to downsize its new office in Barangaroo which for those in Sydney and those out of Sydney is the harbourside development that uh, Cram Casinos we'll talk about them in a minute uh, we're going to be the kind of key anchor tenant the you know six star casino at the top of that um, Barangaroo was this new kind of urban development lots of you know prime real estate uh, the, the best businesses wanted to be seen there and get their naming rights on the buildings all that kind of good stuff and yet Westpac has made the decision to effectively say you know what we are going to be smaller as a, as a head office <coughs> excuse me than we would have been pre-COVID. And I think that's meaningful. You, you you were the one who said to want to, look, I want to chat about this because it has impacts for everybody. It's got impacts for employees and, and for Westpac, as I said. The bigger impact though, probably at least the more direct and maybe, you know, um, proportional impact, the, the largest one may well be on those property trusts, the REITs, the real estate investment trusts that own these office buildings.
1: Yeah, I, I thought this news is really interesting because A, I uh, uh, you know I would not expect Westpac to be the one sort of making the move, or maybe others are making yeah, the move right. and Westpac yeah. is, is in the news because it's a big one, right? Yeah, yeah. But it it is really symptomatic of mm, if, this mm, right? mm. if this trend is long term, right? If this trend is long term, it basically means that you're going to have much smaller uh, city centers, right? Right? That in turn means that you have all these big office buildings that are now worth much. Significantly less yep. because you can't fill them up. Yep. But it has flow and effect. Um, you know, uh, we've we've got basically a, a train system, for example, in Sydney that mm-hmm. is bringing people into the city. Right. Well, you don't need to bring so many people into the city anymore. Right. Right. Um, and and therefore, by by definition, the cafes, the you know, the the things that open for lunch. You know, yeah, you know, And people then have the choice of actually living further away.
0: And this has been huge, right? Because when, when there has been the, – the recovery that we've had, again, we, we, maybe fake recovery, maybe not, but in any case, the recovery that we've had has largely been suburban. If you go through the city or even talk to – I talk to cafe owners regularly. I do a, a Sunday morning spot and I drive into Martin Place in the middle of the Sydney and and I speak to the cafe owners around there when I grab a coffee before, before I'm on and they have to a, to a person thus far said – well, look, it's getting a little bit better, maybe a bit earlier in the week, because some people are working a bit part time or a few days a week in the office, and that's Monday to Wednesday kind of improving, but Thursday Friday is still terrible. The weekends are still terrible. It, it's it it is it does seem like a suburban and maybe an online recovery, but the CBDs feel like the the areas that are really dragging their feet.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's right, and I, uh, you know, and 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 more and more companies you hear like global companies that are making these decisions that okay, you can work forever from home. Um yeah. you know you don't have to come in you can work from anywhere you want right mm-hmm. i mean and i think that has a that's in a way in 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 interesting way it's good and an in interesting way it's bad right <laughs> yeah. it's good because it yeah. makes ha- hiring talent um um, easy, yep. right? It yep. means a business can be formed anywhere. It doesn't yep. have to be in the in this in, in the city center, right? Somebody could you know start one in mm-hmm. Minigong mm-hmm. right? If they wanted to, and it it could equally be successful because yep. the expectation that you have an office in 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 the center of the city is no longer there, right? right? right this is a big right. deal, yeah. In, in that sense, um, but it does have those, you know. If we have spent so much energy, effort, time, um, <laughs> uh, uh, building and this is not just about. Australia. Right? This mm. is worldwide. Yeah, like totally. You yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Big cities, which yeah. are the attraction points, yeah. like you know, think about New York. Um, the people come mm, to see mm, because they're mm, hey, mm. there's big city center, right? right I right. mean, um,
0: and this is fascinating, mate, because I, I've been reading and listening to po- different podcasts for years, and one of the one of the kind of Freakonomics, which is a great podcast, I was looking for another one. They interviewed a bloke ages ago uh, talking about the value of cities, and the the idea he, he makes the claim and it's probably a little bit outlandish but but stay with us um he makes the claim that cities are more responsible than almost anything else in human history for the progress that we've made because of the way they bring people and ideas and money and whatever else together. And, and the kind of the, if you look at the wage growth in the CBDs versus the suburbs, for example, or the regional towns and cities. So the, particularly not so much in Australia, we don't have that many, we're pretty coastal, nothing's really in between, but um, you know the, the so-called flyover states in the US, for example, where wages and prices haven't kept up because talent has migrated to those places. Um, I think this is the real challenge for us as, as an economy. On one hand, the Zooms of the world and the Skypes and the whatever else the Microsoft Teams and whatever else we're using in phone calls and just the reality that, by the way, bosses can actually let go a little bit of their employees So they used to kind of, you know, watch black hawks. Um, you know, these things can let us do our jobs and they absolutely do give us more connectivity than if we only had a phone to, to call. You know, if you and I had to do this over a phone call, we never saw each other, uh, we never used Zoom, that maybe it'd be a different relationship that you and I have, for example. But there's also less incidental exposure. And I think... That's where the question is going to be, I think, resolved over the next few years is, you know, yes, we can do our current jobs from home, but what does it mean for innovation? What does it mean for interaction? Um, you know, the guy I might have coffee with or the casual introduction or the chat over the literal water cooler. We have a virtual water cooler channel where we kind of, you know, occasionally share ideas and talk rubbish. Um but but i'm absolutely sure that we have less casual interaction as a business being remote than we were in in a group and maybe is that true for cities itself are you, are you hopeful that we can replicate and maybe even you know surpass that or is this also kind of part silver lining but but genuinely part cloud
1: yeah i really don't know like i mean those are really good points um, the like one of the beauties of of certain places happens to be the culture of that place right, right. right? Um, you know, so like, the, so Berlin, for example, is known as like the the, the Valley of um, um, Europe, right? Okay. Right? Silicon so, Valley, you mean? Yeah, Silicon Valley of yeah, the Europe. Yeah. But if if Berlin is Silicon Valley of Europe, yeah. there is a reason why Berlin is that, right? right and and whatever right, is the right. reason? Yeah. I mean, if you take people and you make them remote, how does that work? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I mean, you know. So it, it, in one hand, it doesn't mean opportunity, oh, right? right? As I said, you know, you can have a, you can have this happening now. In it doesn't have to be city centre. It can happen in mittagong yeah. um, uh, out in the south.
0: Great right. part of the world, by the way.
1: Yeah,
0: and and but <laughs> sun been out today. You
1: no, know, but what does it mean? I, I really yeah. don't know. So I mean, yeah. it, there's a plus and a minus to this, um, like almost point. like everything.
0: So. I, I heard someone say that it, working out is great for getting projects done but it's tough for starting new projects. And that seems about right to me. Mm. The idea of kind of the brainstorm, the sit around a room, the back and forth, let's catch up again after lunch, or let's go and have lunch and talk about something. Mm. Um, I, I'm a big fan of remote. We've worked remote since we started the Multifill here in Australia. So we're now coming close, to, actually really close to um, to 10 years in Australia. Um, beginning January, January 1, 2011, our site went live. So we're getting super close. Um, and we've done it perfectly well. By the same token, we're relatively independent workers as individuals, and as you know, structurally, functionally, um, we do have a small office actually on the Gold Coast where we have our marketing operations team get together, and that has been useful for them. Um, so I, I would I would imagine the the future's a bit hybrid. If I was a, if I was a betting man, I'd say some combination of you know work from home is the default, but let's get together every X. Often, or for specific projects or tasks, where one day a week, one day a fortnight, three times a month, you might go and see each other. Probably in a co-working space, or maybe a big, you know, meeting room type space that a Westpac might have, for example, where there are no permanent seats. There's just places you can go and meet and kind of catch up. If I was a betting man, I think that's what the future might look like. I do worry a little bit about, it, as you say, the Berlin example, even the Valley itself. The idea that can you get the right talent? Can you have the right ideas? Do you have those casual? You know, how many how many businesses do we know? The co-founders were like, oh, I, you know, I was going to start this business. I talked to a friend, and they introduced me to another friend of theirs who had similar skills or, or was thinking the same thing. I, I do worry about the the kind of the innovation spark in you know in a remote world.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, and maybe if we still have offices, just smaller offices, right? I think mm. you know maybe that's what it is. Um, again, this has th- this is going to play out over the next. year, well. Half a decade, does it, maybe. Does it
0: change? How you, have you thought? I mean, this is evolving, right? But but does it change how you think about investing or companies or innovation or as an investor? Has it has it started to percolate its way through your process?
1: Well, like in terms of investing, like you know, one of the things that I I, I think is important in investing is just being flexible, right? You, you, you know, nothing is permanent in investing, and mm-hmm. flexibility is really key. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. businesses that are willing to make changes quickly mm. in response to situations uh, i sort of like them so you know um and businesses that are slow to make changes again i don't like them because that basically yeah, right. means that you can fall behind so that's sort of the only thing but you yeah, know um yeah other than that like you know there are like there are some grand announcements people make mm. okay everybody can work from like you know i think twitter made an announcement yes, that everybody
0: can work from shopify i think did as well square yeah. Uh, run by the same block as Twitter.
1: Yeah, so like I mean, those sort of things. This sound great, mm, um, mm. and it shows that you're agile, which is mm, is mm. a positive take, um, yeah. which is better than not being
0: agile. Correct. But that's right. <laughs> if you had to choose, but
1: yeah, but that that's you know that's yeah. what I sort of draw the distinction is. So if I have to choose, I'll choose in the agile mm, yeah. bucket versus the non-agile bucket. Mm. But then you need to look at other things.
0: I like that. I um, yeah, it's something to keep in mind. I think it's you know as you rightly point out, it makes technology and innovation disruption agility as you say far far more important right because the less structurally kind of um supported innovation is the businesses are the more it requires on the people and, and what's being done I, for me personally i'll say it, it it makes me think more about the individuals in an organization and really thinking about you know backing not so individual jockeys um, to use the to use the analogy but just the sense that absent some of that structure some of the structural things that keep businesses going and make them successful almost that kind of momentum slash inertia that just keeps them moving forward almost regardless when you start to strip away some of the things that deliver those you know built in advantages um, if you are in the valley if you are Westpac if you are you know these businesses have their own drawing power for different reasons for different people you start to strip a little bit of that away and it really does make you think, well, innovation may be faster. It might be different. It might be, frankly, that's expected, right? More unexpected. Just the people who are actually running the business who can have that impact on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and then who might leave um, or join somewhere else are, are far more useful. But let's um, let's move, let's stay with Westpac actually. But let's, and speaking of innovation, by the way, <clears throat> let's do our regular segment on buy now, pay later. It seems like every, every week there's a new bit of news. And this one is, I've got to say, fascinating to me. I, I, I imagine you've got a similar... A similar perspective or a similar view, anyway, maybe a different view, but a but an interest in this. Westpac has done a deal with Afterpay, or Afterpay's done a deal with Westpac. Maybe which we're we'll able to look at it for Westpac to provide some retail banking services for Afterpay's customers, and specifically, and correct me if I'm wrong, mate, because you're closer than I am, but a, a savings account for consumers and some cash flow management services/slash functions. I haven't been super clear on the company's been super clear on what those are necessarily, but being both being powered by Westpac. Now, I really like this because I think I have – you and know, I mentioned this before, and I don't have a strong view on this, but I think if I was going to highlight afterpay's biggest risks, it would be that they get disintermediated themselves, that banks or credit card companies start providing those afterpay-like services and simply remove the need for the middleman, right? If you if you can use your, your Visa card, so Zip's done a deal, for example, where you, use your, you can use your Visa card and it automatically fractionalizes it for you. It's tap and zip, I think they're calling it, but that kind of idea of – you know, it just becomes such a such a fundamental part of every transaction that there's no need for an afterpay. So I think that's, if I was going to put down a, a concern or a, or a risk, that'd be near the top of my list. And again, feel free to disabuse me of the notion. But what I like about this deal for afterpay's perspective is they are maybe responding to that, maybe just doing it anyway and it just happened to coincide. But getting into retail banking deepens the relationship firstly. So if I'm an afterpay customer and I pay, I can be an pay customer when I save or when I receive money from my, my employer or when I transfer money to or from my friends. So that, that helps. If I'm an pay retailer, they'll help me manage my cash flow. And that sort of seems to make sense as long as the, the idea is attractive enough. And I have to say a little bit like, you talked about Square and PayPal before in this context, I think on the podcast. Um, and so I'm still in your idea to some degree. I um, assume you agree that it's, it makes sense here. Afterpay can actually keep potentially more money inside its own ecosystem without ever actually sending it to someone else. If, I, if I'm an pay customer and you're an pay business, I can use my afterpay savings account to pay you as an afterpay retailer, which goes to your afterpay cash flow management system. Um, there's a lot more touch points. It gets to keep a lot more of the flow of that cash potentially, even though the deal is with Westpac rather than doing it itself. But it's just deepening the relationship and kind of, you know, almost ring fencing some of those transactions both feel like smart ways to build some more of Fortress Afterpay.
1: Yeah. So I, I really like this again for all those reasons that you, you mentioned. And... Um, I don't know the details yet of mm. what exactly this looks it's a like vague, guess, so it's, a bit, it's a bit vague um, <laughs> it's smart though I think it's very smart and you know again Afterpay is not really getting a banking license here right so it's, mm. you know, like maybe yeah, this is yeah, the first yeah. step towards getting a banking license that's what I wanted right it's yeah, first step you yeah. know, baby step towards getting a banking yeah. license which I think would be fascinating I, my you know if Afterpay has to be five times the size or ten times the size yeah. of what it is today yep that would almost seem like a natural progression, right? Getting a banking license, actually mm-hmm. becoming mm-hmm. a new age bank yeah. that operates with a very different model than the current banks do, yeah. right? Um, but again, uh, you know, full credit to Westpac, and after pay for sort of you know thinking about this and mm-hmm. uh, making a deal. Uh, again, I think it's fascinating. is sort of similar to what you know Square has got a banking yeah. license now. Yeah.
0: Um, so has got it down there. Like, it, I mean, it's I know probably it's in regulatory their- dramas, and I know that probably puts them closer towards credit code compliance and that kind of stuff, yeah. but. If you think about... Actually, Square's got one over there. Even we talked to Superhero last week and, and the idea of they've, they've... I mean, even listening to what they've done, frankly, the number of hoops they've had to jump or whatever, but in doing so, they don't become the, the, the fly-by-night guys who happen to be cheap. They are literally saying, look, we have done everything we need to do. And this is not an endorsement, by the way, but we've done everything we need to do. we've, we've done this, this guide, this regulatory rule. We've had PwC come and audit our stuff. We've got two-factor authentication over here. Those kind of ideas, they really do... You know, it's it, it's it's hard to do, but once you've done them, it really gives you some credibility and some, some ability to actually fight back against the others and say, well, we are this, we are, you know, we have this license, it makes more sense for us as a business, we can keep more of the value of the transaction, rather than having to palm it off because we've done the work to to set that up. Are they playing Westpac as, as patsies, do you think, or is there some future deal that makes them part of the same business, or how, how does this how does it roll out?
1: I really don't know. Like, I mean, the one thing that I... Like, I I, I really think that the the Afterpay team, though, hmm. is, is a fascinating team. It's a fascinating yeah. team because they, they're really... I think the way they're operating, I call it bringing the Valley-style approach, Ooh, okay. the Valley-style mentality.
0: And how would you characterize that in the Afterpay's context?
1: Well, like, I mean, you know, the, the way they're just... The, like a lot of these things that they're doing right you know it it almost seems like they have a business plan where they have written (laughs) up this is what's going to happen what the five-year plan is going to look like and we're just going to execute it step by step even simple things like the way they organize their conference calls it's so nicely done i I mean the more i look at this company i'm i'm impressed i'm impressed by their ability to execute their ability to connect with customers these are these are things that i don't generally expect right, um, right. when I look at a company, right? But their ability to to connect with consumers, like, you know, so the ability to pro- provide a product mm. that your consumers love, mm. that's really hard. And yeah, very right. few companies actually crack that,
2: yeah,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. few companies crack that, and Afropeans actually cracked it. They provide a product mm. that their consumers, you know, their users want, right? Yeah. For whatever yeah. reason, yeah. Yeah. but yeah. they do. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, they sort of are building um, a small ecosystem around that product around the core product this yes. is this is very very smart so I, I really like <laughs> um, uh, their execution I really like how they've you know and, and also the other thing I really like about this company is that they are um, they think big yeah, okay. right and if you think small you're never going to be big, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes, thinking big can result in failure, yeah, right. but it's much better to fail <laughs> yeah, thinking big yeah, 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 yeah. than to never think big right, and just right, play, right. you know. So it's like, if you want to play a World Cup cricket, you you know, and if you're good, you know, and if, but if you think that I'm going to play county cricket and that's enough, yeah, then you're only yeah. going to play county cricket and that's right, it, right? Yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. So these guys are you do playing... You
0: just enough to, to get good at county cricket, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So these
1: guys are playing the World Cup and I just, you know, I salute them for <laughs> trying to play the World Cup and actually nice. being really good at that. So, nice, yeah, yeah I, I really like this.
0: It's... um. I, I like that. Yeah, it's the old line. It's a, it's a bit. It's a bit trite, A bit cliched, but it's the old. You know, shoot for the. If you shoot for the star, so shoot for the moon. At least you'll land among the stars. That idea of if you try and of because you could crash and burn on the launch pad, Right? That's that's yeah. the risk, as you rightly said. But right. um, you can't. You can't. Or the other one I like is you can't cross a chasm in two short jumps. Yes. Yeah, you've got you've got to go the whole way, yeah. and, and you may not make it. Um, but you're absolutely not going to make it if you if you don't try the whole the whole big jump in one go. Yeah, if
1: you didn't, if you did not try, then the answer is that you're not going to make it. Right, we exactly. know that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so so yeah, and full credit to Afterpay, um, uh, you know for, you know it's it's yeah. rare, right? How many times have you found? Um, an Australian company that's actually created a category yeah. that oh, hundreds awesome, of other hundreds yeah, yeah, yeah. of other companies yeah. Yeah. want to copy. Super cool. Which you are able to then take yeah. uh, overseas yeah. and expand yeah. and yeah. expand your market share while even trying to think about okay, let's become slightly like a bank. Right? Yeah. I think that that is commendable, and I commend them when they do that. So, yeah. Uh, again, as I said, I've, I like I like Afterpay for their execution and what they're doing.
0: I will. I will never forget, and, and to much of my chagrin because I still don't own Afterpay shares. Um, the the the. Their sales deck, their sales pitch deck was really, really, really smart. It was one of those things that seems stupidly simple. Now, the tech behind it's hard, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it was easy to do. But to your point about the connection piece, the bit about taking the taking the tech and turning it into a, into a product, um, they, they simply said to their retailers, look, you will pay us for this, but here's the case studies of where we've introduced this whole new concept and look at what it's done for the sales of these retailers. Yeah. And it was simply a matter, and I don't know the numbers, it was something like 30, 40% more sales on average or something like that because you gave them this payment option. And as a retailer, it was such a stupidly obvious thing. Well, okay, I've got to pay my 5%, but I'm going to get 40% more sales. Why would I not do this? In other words, the, the, the friction of accepting it and the upside was so tiny, it made no sense not to do it. And on the flip side, for consumers, again, it's a no brainer, it's a cost-free way to pay later. I mean, you know, you don't get something for nothing very often in this world. And that was a simple something for nothing solution. So again, I, I completely concur that the, the business they built, but the way they sold it, particularly to their retail partners, was just, and again, it's, it's obvious, right? Of course you would say, well, you can make more sales and make you more money, but it actually did and it was, very very smart of them to do that and again it was one of those network effect businesses the more retailers you have the more consumers will want to sign up the more consumers who sign up the more retailers need it to the point where you can't not have Afterpay anymore they've literally locked themselves in by sheer consumer demand they've created it's a it's a really really smart growth strategy they pursued and they're definitely getting the benefit of it now
1: yeah no really cool
0: at the same time westpac sold or is going to sell their stake in zip or Zip Pay, uh, Zipco is the name of the company. Zip Pay the product, largely. Um, a couple of products they've got. the The company was Westpac was very keen to say, no, 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 it's not nothing to do with our deal with Afterpay. We're just selling it because it makes sense. Uh, we still want to work with Zip. We still want to be integrated with Zip. We still want to do the right thing. We still want to be part of this growth story. You know, BNPL player agnostic. <laughs> they don't really care who wins. They want to be part of it. Make sure they can they can clip some of the ticket on the way through. Makes some sense. Um, this is a pretty good deal. You don't very often you know, associate large established blue chip and, and we'll put in brackets, slow, steady and boring and not very interesting Australian companies um, with these sort of investments. They invested something like, and I'll, I'll fudge the numbers, about $45, $50 million in Zip. They're going to sell a stake worth about $334, 339000000 million. That's a pretty good return for, for uh, you know, Telstra's tried to have this VC arm. Westpac's got its own VC arm. Ironically, this deal wasn't actually done as part of that VC arm. Westpac did it directly, so you can make of that what you will. But, um, it's not very often a, a, a large Australian kind of incumbent gets a, gets a slice of a flyer like zip and, and they're cashing out. Do you believe them? Are they, are they cashing out because of the afterpay deal or has it just happened to be on the same day and they're just using the opportunity to announce both at the same time?
1: I'm just going to say congratulations to Westpac for you know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> making. You don't say that very often. You know, for, well, when you when know, Australian Bank gets, a, gets congratulations from you, this is a red letter day. It's a,
1: like, look, well, like, I mean, you know, <laughs> how many like making that, you know, what's a five-six bag or whatever they're yeah. making, right? That's that's awesome.
0: Especially for again, of all the people who would have made this deal, you wouldn't have picked one of the top four Australian banks.
1: Well, well, here's the thing, right? And if if they had picked it, I would have thought they would sell it on a double. They've actually right, held right, it this right, long. Right. Uh, yeah, I think it's a smart. Like here's the, uh, the way I justified is that. Especially Actually, given that they're VC, you know, first they're in, not supposed to be in the uh, business of being in VC. Right, they're right. a bank, mostly a retail bank. I don't expect them to behave like VCs. But okay, you got mm. one right. Mm. You made a lot of money. <laughs> you want to get out. It's yeah. all good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't read too much into it. I think that you know they're going to get some money back. Uh, yeah. yeah,
0: I like it. It's um, it, it makes perfect sense, mate. Let's move on to a slightly. Controversial topic, only because it involves a couple of tech companies that you and I have different perspectives on, or at least different ownership of. Uh, but let's try and do it with, uh, with with a bit of a bit of uh, well, as unbiased as we can put it that way. Mm-hmm. Interesting this week, the U.S. Department of Justice has opened an antitrust suit. Now, um, that's a very specific U.S. term. It basically is a um, abuse of market power suit. Let's call it that uh, against Google, saying that, or at least alleging that Google is misusing the market power it has to advantage itself and disadvantage its competitors. And I think this is the first big one. Is the first big one since Microsoft? Have I missed one in between in the US? No, I think that's right. The first. Big so answer. Microsoft was taken to the through the ringer by both European and the Americans for their Internet Explorer browser when they basically managed to inadvertently, they would say, and I won't make any allegations here, uh, kill off Netscape Navigator. Which for those who've been around for a bit on the internet will remember way back in the day, Internet Explorer became the dominant browser because it was shipped with Windows. And the allegations were that Microsoft was misusing its market power by effectively producing and, and including um, a, a competitor, which, or sorry, a competitor in Netscape, which effectively had the impact of really damaging Netscape's business. I think in the event, that kind of is what tend to happen. Although, ironically, the winner in the browser wars thus far has actually been Chrome uh, from Google rather, rather than Internet Explorer, which maybe um, tells us something about the pace of innovation and change. I know you have your view on regulators, which I'm sure you'll share in a minute, which might might correlate with that. Uh, but fast forward now, man, is it 20 years. I think it is. Jeez, I'm getting old. Uh, fast forward 20 odd years. Google is now on the company's side, the Department of Justice' side, I should say, and there are talks that businesses like Apple and Amazon, maybe even Facebook, are next on the DOJ's target list. And this is a it's a fascinating time because we haven't seen. I mean, Microsoft was forced to kind of unbundle Internet Explorer. We haven't seen big, though, corporate actions. I mean, that was reasonably minor in the scheme of things, big big deal and, and fought hard by Microsoft and others. But you've got to go back to the kind of 80s um, to really find cases where businesses were forcibly split by regulators. And, and the big one in, in the US was um, AT&T, their version of Telstra, I suppose, back in the day, that was forcibly split up into smaller components to try and put some competition back into, into the telecommunications market. Now, that was voice calls way back in the day. I haven't seen much since, but there are rumblings now. There's increasing amounts of noise being made by different political parties, by different legal scholars, by consumer advocates to say, Amazon should be broken up, Google should be broken up. Um, and I think I'm saying it was about Apple, but certainly the the App Store, um, the Epic Games, the Fortnite kind of palaver of a couple of months ago now where um, there was allegations that Apple had excess market power and was abusing that market power. This is an interesting time to be a tech company and potentially a tech investor. We've gone, you know, 20 years from 2000 when dot-com was kind of, you know, the dot-com boom and then crash. We're now at a, po- a point where, I won't tell with the end game because as, as I've just mentioned about Microsoft, you know, the browser wars weren't the end game at all, at least not at that point in the, in the story. But we are kind of at a point where, it feels like these businesses are all maturing, or are mature, or starting mature around the same time. And regulators, of sudden, look at that and go, "Are these guys the new Walmart? Are they the new AT and T? Are they the new, you know, too big to be allowed to succeed in in the current market environment?"
1: Oh wait, uh, <laughs> how long do you want this to be? <laughs> um, uh, okay, so let's start with the with the Google one, right? Um, so first of all, I think um, I don't love Google. Mm-hmm. But I'm, you know, and, and I'm not a f- fan of Google's. So, so the, what I'm not a fan of is not that Google has market dominance, mm-hmm. right? That is not a problem in my view. What okay. I'm, not f- I'm not a fan of Google's approach to data
0: right. and,
1: and data store okay. and being the arbiter of data. So that's what I'm not not a fan of.
0: Is this and, and that sounds different to me? Just, just to be clear than the actual. So there's not a lot of so data and privacy isn't the core of this particular. Exactly, topic.
1: that's not a, right. so. Okay. So they're not addressing, um, they're addressing a different problem now. Okay. Uh, let's let's first talk about this one, and then uh, we can we can circle back to the Microsoft one. Okay. Um, so, if you read actually the filings. Mm. Uh, any sensible person reading the finals will actually start laughing. Right. Okay. So let me g- give you an example, and this is not the exact words, but
0: um, let's <laughs> not libel anybody, by the way.
1: Yeah, I'm not libeling <laughs> anyone, uh, but I'm, I'm just going to have some laughs. So um, Google is very dominant in search. Yes. Um, it is extremely dominant. It is keeping competition, uh, putting competition. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not allowing competition, uh, but it, and and how do we prove that? All oh, it just gave Apple eight or ten billion dollars a year. Right. How's that market dominance? This is completely opposite. <laughs> Actually, you could flip the sentence yeah, yeah. and say, yeah. Oh, our, Apple has market dominance yeah. and that's why Apple is demanding ten billion dollars from Google per year right. so that it can be a default search engine.
0: Right.
1: So it's pretty bizarre, right? Mm. So mm. <laughs> so who's dominant here? Is it Apple? <laughs> is it Google? I don't know. Like I mean it's not at all no, clear right. to me. Right? right? So In fact, the fact that they're paying for traffic acquisition uh, acquisition um, does it show dominance? Yes. So they're the number one search engine. Yeah. And (laughs) um, Apple doesn't love Google. Yeah. Right. It could have said that we would make Bing our default search engine. Right. 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 Why didn't it do it? So is it because of money Mm. or is Mm -mm. it because that they know (laughs) that Google is a better search engine and uh, we still allow people the freedom of choice to, uh, to use another search engine if they want? Right but we would not compromise our system. Actually, and hey, yeah. somebody wants to pay us money for being the default search engine, why won't we make some money of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know how these things are going to stack up in the court, but it really seems difficult yeah. to make the argument that hey, this is the company that has 75% market share, still has to go and pay someone mm, to actually mm, to acquire mm. their traffic. Yeah. Um, so... Right right. And and it's not clear to me
0: why. Which is both the combination of a is it dominance but also b and maybe you're making this point or maybe you're not maybe I'm extracting it from what you're saying but it's also to some degree the the idea that the source of that dominance i.e. web traffic is changing because Google Google needs to be on the app because the app isn't the web. If I if I jump on my browser and I type in google.com to search for something that's one thing. If I'm using an app which has preloader or a phone which has preloaded search default software that's a whole different platform in and of itself, right? And that that almost, you know, the the changes there, a bit like Internet Explorer and Netscape Navigator, you know, the, the DOJ were solving the 1990s problem. Fast forward 20 years and, and neither of those two players ends up winning in this story.
1: Yeah, so so like, I mean, I, I, I what I'm saying is that they are dominant, yeah. but the way you're trying to prove dominance yes, that's right. is, is not useful in my view yes, because, yes, yes. I mean, you know, dominant players don't, you know, dominant players crush other people and yeah, say, yeah. well, you know, I wouldn't allow you, I wouldn't pay you, to right, be a right, default right. or whatever they are actually paying right so uh, so there's that now in in, in the i think the flaw on effects of that are undeniable mm-hmm. right so the flow on effect is if you're dominant in search then you can control uh how your search algorithms work and that in turn has impact on on other things i think what um often um, regulators miss because I think regulators by default are not that imaginative is um, <laughs> yeah, is that the innovation typically does not come from mm-hmm. what innovation of something new does not really come from those platforms that exist, True. right? Yeah. So it's quite likely that the search in its current form is going to get um, mm-hmm. disrupted by something completely different from search, right? So in other words, enabling uh, competition in search mm-hmm. Is really should not be the answer. I think the answer should be to enable competition overall to enable innovation. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean this exactly like they were tackling the wrong problem when it came to um, the Windows environment, yeah, right? right? I mean. Right, right. Did it really matter whether it was Netflix or Mozilla or whatever else, or Netscape mm-hmm. or Mozilla or whatever else versus Internet Explorer? It did not, right? Yeah. Because at that time, people thought that that the browser yeah, right. was the <laughs> right, yes, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, was this
0: is pre-smartphone, pre-whatever else, right?
1: No, but I mean, the the very thought that yeah. the browser was the platform through which you're going to do, uh, you're oh, going to okay. make money. Okay. Why would you think that? Yeah, because the browser is a is a door yeah. that opens you to this world, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That world is where the opportunity was, right? But so to me when
0: you weren't ever paying for the browsers themselves anyway, there was no sense that yeah. there was. Uh, there, there's, there's never been a commercial case for. I mean, maybe if you're if you're the default search provider on the browser, there's like a second order. Impact maybe maybe in some future world well, Bing is massive because everyone uses an Explorer, but people aren't that silly. Yeah, like and,
1: and I think like you can make arguments about all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you could make an argument that app stores are dominant, yeah. right? Um, but has that stopped innovation? Yeah. so my my threshold really is to ask whether or not there is innovation or not right, right i mean right. the app store has enabled the ubers the lifts the airbnbs mm-hmm. and so on right now whether or not they want a part of that transaction and a cost of that transaction flow that's a matter between those people and they can sort it out right yeah. because i mean in many ways the the platform enables something and if that something is not available then people will get pissed off and if yep. they get pissed yep. off then they will you know create noise right it's yep. Yep. Um, so i i don't know what this uh, the salts um mm-hmm. Um, and it, in in my view, I think it does not address the real issues, right? You know, I think mm-hmm. you want to you want to control market power, but mm-hmm. uh, this almost seems to be going about uh, the wrong way. But um, yeah. anyways, this is going
0: to. I, I, I largely s- agree with you. I think there is there is some. If if we had if we had two Australian banks making supernormal profits, I think you and I would probably say there needs to be more competition in the banking space. We need to work out a way the banks can't take too much money off the table. And I, I'm a Google shareholder, you're an Apple shareholder, um, so I have as much, maybe less to lose than you do. Maybe Apple makes more money from the App Store, but broadly speaking, I, I do wonder whether the App Store so closely tied to the operating system, so closely tied to the phones. Um, again, not Apple, not, not Google, but both. And as a Google shareholder, I'm you know absolutely saying this is a, as hopefully an independent kind of observer. But I do wonder whether two dominant App Stores that get to charge a percentage for of, of revenue that seems higher than would be the case elsewhere, again are they creating the value absolutely banks could say well without us you can't you know transact and so we're we're we're, you know providing a service you gotta pay us all 30 percent of your transaction you know revenue that goes through the banks to make money we'll be like no you know what that doesn't seem like it's a reasonable way to go it's probably a bad analogy but i think there is some sense that it's worth asking the question of is a 30 percent clip sufficiently competitive um, compared to either what it might be or with a third OS or the retail world or the, the physical world or something else. Just to kind of work out, you know, I mean, that's the at and question, right? That is the, the you know, the, the, how, how much value do you allow one com- one company to capture? And at what point does that suggest a lack of competition versus, as you say, an enabling of a whole ecosystem? And I think you're right, by the way. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with your point that it absolutely allows the Uber. I mean, Uber doesn't exist without the app stores, right? Um, so, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a zero, but I do wonder how we think about not not maybe not should we regulate? Shouldn't we? Should we should we break it up? Shouldn't we? They're probably the the, the, the end point questions or the end point answers. Sorry, the question to me is how do we think clear, cleverly about how much value is created and how much of that value should should go to a two horse race, you know, with not a lot of super overlapping competition, um, as opposed to trying to find the right price or the right you know ticket size, the, the right amount of revenue that, that a a dominant Um, gatekeeper should be allowed to collect on the way through
1: yeah so like you know I'm pretty ambivalent on that largely because I think what's um, most so here's the thing right if you want to have good global services mm-hmm. you will not have multiple players mm-hmm. there can't be multiple players mm-hmm. right expecting multiple players basically nobody's going to develop no no developer is going to develop apps for multiple platforms right, right. it just doesn't work
0: well, may, maybe multiple but not like yeah, maybe two or three, but not ten or fifteen, right? Well, it's not gonna. You know,
1: even two people don't do it today, right? I mean, you know, people who are going to develop first for the app, uh, the Apple's app store, and then if they feel like they're going to develop for, you know, it's Android, it's economics yeah. that that dictates, yeah, yeah. right? Totally. And hey, you can design a free app. And monetize your uh, audience or whatever you're doing in a different way, and nobody's mm-hmm. going to charge you anything, yeah. right? So, uh, and then this this idea that mm-hmm. um, Apple makes a ton of money, or you know, Google. Actually, mm-hmm. Apple does not make a ton of money mm-hmm. from the App Store. So, the, 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 I think those are fringe. Those are those are like fringe discussions, in my view, that right. just don't matter. Because, I mean, I, I think the the flip side that we don't we do we don't realize is we can go back the 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 alternative could be a world full of malware or yeah. a world full of a, you know disruptive apps that are taking control of your phones that are stealing mm-hmm. your data, yeah. right? Who's going to ensure that, right? So you need somebody to be you know um, the guardian for doing that, and I think you yeah. want actually concentration here. Uh, you know, two is probably maybe three at most is what you can. It, for people to you know developers don't have free time to develop x number of <laughs> apps for yeah. a, you know x type of different uh, environments and then keep up and then make sure that it is maintained yeah. so yeah. i you know uh, i don't have a problem with the distribution model um as such and i think it's 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 not harming people in any way right yeah. and yeah. I, I think the the issue might be that the here's another way to think about it i think that most of the time the complaints come. So here I'll give you an example. Spotify would come and say, Oh, I can't do this, X, Y, and Z. To that my answer is if you're selling a commodity solution called music streaming, which is basically buying somebody else's music and then putting it on the pipe. You are a marginal business to start off. Go start something else, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah. it's like you know, yeah. in my mind, the marginal business is the one that complains. The non-marginal business would have no problems because sure. they would figure out something else to do, sure, sure, right? Sure. So, um, I
0: think I think that's right. I think I think I, I'm not I'm not I don't have a dog in this fight in terms of Spotify versus Apple or Google versus Epic. Games. Well, no, I
1: don't yeah, have a do- dog in the fight. It's more either. a question
0: like, of as a as a, as a consumer and as a, as a producer, and frankly, if I put the regulator hat on for a second. How much, should, should they be there? Yes. Is, does it keep out my way? Yes. I'm not suggesting there's no benefit to the current system. It's more a question of given the current system, is it the most appropriate level of competition and, and charging fees, call it what you want, relative to a better solution? not, 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 a, so, not so a I just answered that question
1: for you, right? I don't have a dog in the fight. All yeah, I'm right. answering for you is that <laughs> currently there's so much competition yep. that Spotify can't survive because it has no ecosystem. Right. So-
0: but my point is that Apple and Google both charge 30%, right? At some, no, at some no, point, no, no. if we had so, two so, banks so, who no, charge so, the same
1: thing. No, no, no. I think, you, I think, you, I think here, here is where you're mistaken, right? So let's take the issue with uh, Spotify, yep. right? You subscribe to your music. You yep. can take Android music. You can take Apple music. You can take Amazon music, sure. right? You could take Pandora. Sure. You can take XYZ, yep. right? When you're selling a commodity solution, mm-hmm. you're not going to make much money
0: on it. Right, I but I, I take your point. But I don't care about Spotify in particular. Right. I, I think I think we need to argue the the, the, the But the problems,
1: the problems are, the problems are the often
0: ecosystem, not just the Spotify. You no, know, no, but
1: that's exactly where the, these are the complaints. Right. The complaints are coming from but, these okay, people. But
0: let's assume they don't complain. The DOJ's question is still: given there are two play, only two OS players with apps app source, and given those two players are charging, what in any other circumstance would be a extortionate proportion of revenue. So, you know, you couldn't you couldn't if you're if you're a retail land, if you're Westfield, you can't charge thirty percent of rent. Uh, if you're, you know, a vending machine player, you can't charge thirty percent of, of the No no the no. no. So
1: here's here's where I think you're you're mistaken, right? Completely. So the retailer, mm-hmm. um, unlike here, I guess when you know the government has said that you don't have to pay rent, mm-hmm. right? You have to realize that uh, unlike a typical mall mm-hmm. where everybody's paying a rent, mm-hmm. everybody's actually not paying a rent here right so when Google is running its Google Play Store
2: mm.
1: if you're free yep. Google gets zero yeah sure right so that you know like I mean it's a question of whether it's 15 or 30 but you know hey that,
0: that, is, I think that is the question that, that's my fault. I think
1: regulators have no business trying to figure that out because they have no clue what to do I mean they would have never thought that you can actually have a free ecosystem of hundreds and thousands of apps which are free like I mean make your business something else other than transacting in digital currency
0: and you're fine Okay, but if if we had if we had banks in Australia who said savings accounts are free, checks are free, but if you're on a home loan, you're going to have to pay me thirty percent. We would, and they said well, you can you can use you can use the free savings accounts. That's fine, but if you don't want to borrow or buy a home, don't borrow or buy a home. That's fine. It's not a problem. There's only two banks. You got to pay thirty percent to both. I think I think we would all agree that was a system that
2: no no, no that competition
0: yeah, would enhance or that God. government intervention would improve relative to. And that I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to charge you anything. Or that, no, I think again, I say thirty percent's wrong. No, so just I don't saying think broadly that. speaking, the question is, you know what. what a, a regulator slash system overview should say: uh, Do these circumstances feel like they are an appropriate one for the, the, the market that we have and the market power that's being used, not abused necessarily, just used? You know, is it is does it, that seem like a reasonable competitive solution in this marketplace?
1: No, so I think that's where again you're wrong, and <laughs> I'm going to use say wrong pretty strongly because it's not the the analogy just doesn't work, right? It's not that the consumer is being hurt. Right, The consumer still is able to get you know, $5 music streaming, mm-hmm. right? The 30% or whatever it is, is being paid by the business.
0: Sure, but that could the process. I mean, it, yeah, it but, I mean,
1: but that, has been, that has been, I think that the software distribution cost or the cost of applications is not exorbitant. It is, um, you know, there's plenty of competition. There's plenty of choice.
0: So how much are we too much? Fifty percent, ninety percent. I
1: don't know, like, but I think the current system just works. Like, I mean, you know, there is no problem with the current system. Sure, you want to tweak it fifteen percent. Here's the thing: it does not make a bottom line difference whether it is fifteen percent or thirty yeah. yeah. percent to either Apple or Google it actually yeah. does not make any difference
0: my, my point is only right? that the fact it could be either and the fact you're open to that is is what's is what yeah, but it's not i think it's,
1: yeah but it's not like the regulators are the people who have no clue of how to deal with this they would, as i said they would have never figured out that you could actually have free services right i don't give regulators that much credit maybe you do but i i think <laughs> regulators are you know <laughs> regulators do dumb things <laughs> they are basically known for doing dumb things um you know again which in which world do you get 90% of your apps are free 90 percent of the services that you get are free what's the problem you want to pay you pay it's let's move on it's like you know what is it it's as i said the complainants here are basically all about can i get more money in my pocket Hmm. it's not about the end consumer and the complainants are always those businesses that are not innovative enough i think that's where the problem is go innovate is what i say just go build a better business. <laughs> Don't complain. I hate complainers. <laughs>
0: we will see. We will see. We might leave it there, mate. I've got a quick question before we finish off and then we will end for it today. Because uh, well, we're in the space of innovation, while we're in the space of banks. We talked about both of those today. A question, a quick question we came through from Scott, not, not me, another Scott. He says, hi, Scott and Doc. Love the podcast. Longtime listener. Appreciate the education and entertainment you both provide. Well, hopefully we've done that today. You both make your opinions on traditional banks quite clear. We've also done that today. But then Scott asks, do you have a view on the neobanks, such as Wiser, W-I-Z-R, I've got to say, mate, that was a new name for me, who appear to be increasing market share in, he says, EO-like multiples, so extreme opportunities, your service, EO-like multiples. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll reset this. Do you have a, a view on neobanks, such as Wiser, who appear to be increasing market share quickly, uh, have a focus on financial wellness and don't have the same residential property exposure or bias? Love to hear your thoughts, Doc and Scott. So in this case, you know, the question we have, we have been um, we have given our views on, on banks. You're a little more negative than I am, but neither of us are buying banks anytime soon, um, for, for a whole lot of reasons, including their exposure to debt. Um, also, the, the question of is there enough just sheer growth in in the business itself? Even if you even if you said, I don't think you'd believe this. I am a bit sanguine on it. Even if you said there's no crash coming, but where does the growth come from in either of those scenarios? Or you believe there's a crash? It's kind of like heads I, heads I lose a lot, tails I lose a little bit. It's not a great not a great scenario. Do the neo banks may interest you for, from a from an investment perspective? Given they don't have those potential downsides, given they're disruptors who have you know all the market in front of them and no real legacy businesses or issues. Um, harder for the Commonwealth Bank to double in size, but easy for a neo bank to grow tenfold and still not even appear on Bank's radar, quite frankly. Small companies, as you invest in with extreme opportunities, are the place to make meaningful amounts of money if you can find the right ones and the ones that are going to go well. Have you looked at neobanks? Do you have a view? Have you Have you kind of formed a, a sense of when and why you might invest in them?
1: Uh so I haven't looked in in much detail to know so I mean yes it's true they're small they can take some share from the big ones and they can grow um you know banking as a whole um traditional banking is a it's a mm. difficult business right I mean you know you have to borrow money so basically it's a leverage business where you're you know mm-hmm. trying to make um some money off a lot of leverage so
0: (laughs) it's which is great when it works and when it doesn't yeah so
1: so and you know i don't know i haven't looked at it Mm. looked at any carefully to i should have a view um i I like the fact that you know new new Mm. new banks are trying different things which is good but i don't have a view
0: yeah i think i think scott I, i would i would avoid giving a view on them in part because I think we tend to... A little bit like you know, we talk about tech as if it's one thing, right? I think neobanks we talk about as one thing. Um, neobanks that I've seen, or at least those, those called neobanks, do everything from payday loans through to peer, peer-to-peer lending, through to deposit services, through to everything else. Um, and I think that's where you want to be a little bit careful, you know, all, uh, to be fair, the the banking sector, the the, the non neo banks, the traditional banks are largely the same thing. Um, They're they're big, they're old and slow, they tend to do, you know, deposit supported and and money market supported uh, funding of home loans and business loans, right? So they're kind of, not exactly much of a muchest, but you can kind of throw a reasonably small blanket over all of them when it comes to the neo banks, because they are new, because they are different, because they are small, because they, in some cases, are focused in very, very different areas. You want to be really careful of what you're buying, what they do. Now, again, I have no view on Wiser directly or others, um, but I, what I would say is just be a little bit mindful that um, you know it's not just a small, nimble, new version of the existing banks and so we can use the same frameworks. Um, I just look up Wiser, for example, and literally the Wikipedia description says, um, it's a non-bank lender offering consumer lending services. Uh, it was called Direct Money, um, originally, now it's now it does what it does. Now you know, borrowing f- five or fifty grand, that to me doesn't sound like a neo bank as much as it sounds like a uh, you know a non bank lender. Um, that that may or may not have you know a different funding cost. I haven't looked into it anywhere near deeply enough. What I would say though is, to some degree, if if you're kind of just a you know a white labeled re-lender, that's great. They'd knock yourself out. I wouldn't say that's a neobank in the same way as, uh, for example, Square that Doc mentioned earlier in the in the in the chat, which is not exactly even. Offering the same service as a traditional bank, but it's getting a lot closer. Uh, I don't know, doctor. Do you, uh, uh, you know, uh, a question without notice on say Square. That to me sounds like a proper neo bank as opposed to a, a new disruptive lender who wants to be called a neo bank because it's kind of a cool term and I might get some, I might get some nice halo effects from it.
1: Yeah, like so Square is a much b- significantly bigger business. Like, yeah. you know, like Square probably is as big as one of the Australian banks now. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, but, but. It's, it's, again, like, I mean, you have to start somewhere, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. so, I, I, I don't know, like, I mean. I
0: don't think that, it's bad in the moment. I'm, just, I'm yeah. just saying I wouldn't necessarily, just be I'm just careful of the label. I think when you start to say it's a neobank, it conjures up those those ideas in people's heads of like, oh, I know what it is, I know what it does. I can buy shares in it because it's a neobank. All I would say is yeah, yeah, the neobanks are all different yeah. to each other, in you know, a far greater way than, yeah the big four banks are the same bank, <laughs> really honestly, right? They'll, they'll yeah. hate me saying that, but it's true. Um, the neobank's. Are all really, really different from each other, or potentially really different from each other? You've got to be really careful what you are buying.
1: Yeah, and and again, you know, are, are are they, you know, just lending? Are they doing, you know, F post gathering? You yeah, know, right. are are they, now, are they linking customers to, you know, buyers and sellers? What what is yeah. the type of banking they're yeah. doing? It's all right. important.
0: Yeah. What I will say, man, I have a I have just a really quick a really quick view on this. I see to some degree the newer banks as potentially being doing to grow doing a banks what what others have done to grocery. So if you think about this is a long analogy, but stick with me. Not 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 long, just different. Aldi, as a retailer, had a very specific way of saying we're going to have a really small range. They're going to be really cheap, and we're going to focus on stuff we do really, really well. And they've carved out a really nice niche for themselves in Australia. Costco have been in the US for years, but come to Australia and said we do the opposite. We do you know really, really, really large purchases of really large quantities. You know, 144 rolls of toilet paper, or you know, five kilos of peanut butter. Um, Very different, right? And what it I think what what we've been, I'll say I'll say blessed with probably too hard term. The great thing about the Coles and Woolworth supermarkets is you get everything there. They're all reasonably priced. You get everything in one shop. It's kind of easy and it's simple. And they've done a great job of being everything to everybody, but not anything in particular really really well. So they're kind of they do everything reasonably well. Aldi have said we're going to do a few things incredibly well. Costco have said we're going to do a few different things incredibly well. And that starts to undermine woolies and Coles themselves, right? Because you can't say, "Well, we're going to sell nappies and peanut butter and toilet paper and a grog and you know baked goods and and cold meats." And they'll give be reasonably priced. You'll come and get them all. They'll kind of cross subsidise each other. We can, you know, baby food's always cheap because it drags people in. You'll pay a bit more for your I don't know, baked beans or something else. That that model of of being something to everybody is a really convenient model for most people, but. The, the new players have really disrupted that meaningfully, right? They've had to drop their prices, introduce private labels. it changed the whole dynamic of supermarkets. I think in banking, I, if I was a bank shareholder, that's what I'd be worried about is, is somebody looking around at the banking system and saying, hang on, they make X percent of their profits from these two things. I'm only going to do those two things. I don't have to cross-subsidize a branch network. I don't have to cross-subsidize deposit accounts, which they lose money on. And we don't like paying fees on deposit accounts, but let's be honest, they make no money on deposit accounts. It costs the money to provide. They're happy to make money on mortgages and credit cards. Now, if you've got another company that says I'll do the credit cards someone says I'll do the loans and the banks are stuck with deposit products and branches it, you know the model starts to break down really really fast.
1: Yeah but I mean on the other hand, the deposit is also enabling them to provide those loans right? Totally. I mean, yeah that's right. Yeah. So I mean the deposit product is important from yes, that point yes, of view yes, it, yes. you know and it's actually even better if you can you know mm-hmm. uh, sucker someone up to deposit their money for five years <laughs> yes, right? right? Guaranteed five oh, years man, of fund. deposit for, yeah that's right. Yeah, for so um, yeah like um, again like it's probably too early the other thing I''d, I'd caution is if, mm. if a company is too small especially a banking company that's too small right I <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah. Um, it could vanish and yeah. nobody would notice kind of thing
0: yeah be careful hey?
1: yeah you should be careful a little bit careful
0: so if you're not looking for banks but you are looking for great small cap stocks you should join docs service Motley full extreme opportunities you can go to full.com.au and slash eO podcast. I almost screwed that up, so let me go again. fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. I was thinking of what I was going to say next, which was, and you can join up to join Doc and Kevin. Um, and Kevin's got his new father, so congratulations, Kevin. We should say that just for fun. Won't get away too many more details because Kevin may not want me to share them, but he's a new dad for the first time, so congratulations, mate, and to your, to your lovely wife as well. Um, go to EO podcast. Doc and Kevin do a fantastic job there of finding you, not the Neo banks necessarily, although if there is a great neobank that's worthy of investment, they will definitely recommend it there. In the meantime, they are looking around the market trying to find the ones that have better return potential, potentially less risk as well than those banks, a little more risk than the average bear, but hopefully a lot more return. That's certainly the success they've had so far. And as I'm saying, as I like to say, and as you already know, cheap out a cup of coffee a week. What are you waiting for? Go to fool.com.au forward slash eo podcast and join Doc. Now we're going to have.
1: I was going to quickly say it's oh, not please. cheap, inexpensive. In, oh, I
0: keep saying that. I've going, been inexpensive. told.
1: I've been told by a member uh, <laughs> that we should not call it cheap.
0: Not, it's not cheap. It's inexpensive. It's not
1: cheap. It's inexpensive.
0: <laughs> Try it out. It's so it, it's so bloody inexpensive. You honestly, I, I, I it's hard to say that actually. <laughs> I can't say I can't say you can't lose because I guess you can always buy a bad pick or something and whatever. But man, if you got a portfolio that's even four figures. And you can't justify a stupidly cheap, or stupidly inexpensive price. Let me be clear. Uh, to, to try Doc's <laughs> service at EO, I, I don't know. I can't help you. All right. So go to fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. Yes, it's an ad, but it's also completely genuine. It drives me nuts that I can't get more people to come and join Doc or, or us at Share Advisor. But certainly Doc and Kevin at, at EO, just to give it a go, because just you know, you spend more than on a, on, a, on a night out or a pair of jeans. and they're not going to they're not going to build your wealth. Put it that way. All right. Before we go, mate. Should we do a podcast mailbag on Sunday? Is that um, secret a secret anymore? special no. episode? Special. 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 So if you do want to take part, hit us up on the socials. Let me go through them really, really quickly info at fool.com.au for those who prefer email. You can hit us up on the Twitters. Doc is at Anirban Mahanti. And let me double up here. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, you can get me at TMFScottP and The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU. And if you're on the book, the Facebook, The Book of Faces, go to The Motley Fool Australia or Scott Phillips Money. That's it, mate. We're done. We will be back Sunday. But before that, make sure you don't miss our Sunday Mailbag episode by subscribing to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes, your favourite Android podcast app, or, of course, Podcast One. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. A quick note here, mate. We had a listener during the week. Send me some one... uh, you know, I talk about tattooing on your body. Uh-huh. I was I, I saw the I saw the image come up, and I thought, Oh God, tell me someone's no put the motley on there. They haven't put the motley fool on their body. <laughs> They've done something you would like much more. Okay. They literally tattooed S3XY and the Tesla symbol on they, the underside they, of their forearm.
1: They have done a very good job. <laughs> what can the I the
0: Tesla? Say? The Tesla models: Model S, Model 3, Model X, and Model Y, and a little Tesla symbol. For, their, for the rest of their lives. So that is that is love. That is that is brand love and I thought you'd appreciate that. In the meantime, don't do that. Uh, well, do if you want to, but I'm not going to suggest it. Instead of that, please give us a rating, leave us a review, please tell your friends. If you're enjoying the podcast, we figure they will too. And of course, you can get a dose of foolishness and some marketing straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M, triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We're we'll back on Sunday with a surprise, no, not surprise, a special
2: <laughs> mailbag
0: edition. See you then.